Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the IC Old People Podcast. I'm Dr. Bruce, your host. The IC Old People Podcast is a journey through seniorhood through the eyes of a newly minted senior, myself. I'm your host. I'm happy to share my experiences with you. I only became a senior in November of 2019. I've been a senior, I've been a senior for a few months now and I'm starting to get used to it. So we're having some interesting story. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, my experiences with cannabis over the years. Uh, cannabis is uh, legal in Canada now. It has been for well over a year and uh, I want to just talk about that for a bit today. Um, yeah, I should say what today is. Today is March 3rd, 2020. Tuesday, March 3rd, 2020. Uh, we don't call that spring around here in Norfolk County. I'm broadcasting, as I always do, from beautiful uh, storage closet studios in Norfolk County, Ontario, on the north shore of Lake Erie. And I am happy to tell you that uh, it is now March. We consider this one of the weirdest months in Canada. It can be snowing and blizzardy. It can be warm and sunshiny. It can be just about anything. But we don't quite call it spring. We tend to call spring. We wait till April before we start to uh, use the spring word. So we're still kind of in winter, of course, you know, uh, by the calendar and by the weather. Very, very foggy out there today very damp and very cool. So uh, kind of a good day to be here at Storage Closet Studio speaking to you. Okay, so I want to I start just to give you a little bit of a background about uh, how I came to be a podcaster right now in 2020. Because I've always had a strong desire to get my message out to people throughout, um, throughout my career, throughout my life. Uh, so I, I started out, um, first of all, I, I did classes within my practice. So on Wednesday nights, I would do an educational class. I called it a special appointment. So when you came in to see me, uh, you were, we did a physical exam. We set up a, a treatment plan. We spoke about uh, health issues. And then I set you up with this special appointment where you would come in on a Wednesday evening. I had would have seen people all day long. And then I would take the time, half an hour, 45 minutes, to explain health principles the way the spinal system works, the way the nervous system works. So I began teaching very early in my career. And at that time, I started practice in 1986. So uh, at that time, there wasn't a lot of ways to get uh, messages out. People were doing newsletters. That was um, not common, but th it was the occasional type of way to get information out to your employees or things like that. Uh, I, I, I was really big on letters to the editor, okay, so th this was something that a younger person might not even concept because today we, we can give our opinions so freely in social media, but back in those days there was of course no social media, there was no internet, but letters to the editor were a pretty important part of the newspapers. So what I would do is, uh, you know, if it was a health issue, the, the one particular one that I probably, uh, you know, I still have it cut out and framed and everything is uh, I had written a letter to the Toronto Star after the budget. Uh, so the budget was done by the politicians in Ontario and they called it a health budget. Okay, so they called it a health budget, but what it really was was a medical budget, and all it was was giving money, money to medical procedures, medical hospitals, medical doctors. Uh, it really wasn't a health budget in my opinion at all. 
So I wrote quite a long letter to the Toronto Star, uh, and uh, the Toronto Star uh, liked it. I talked about, you know, what is really, what is health? Health is being active. Health is eating well. Health is uh, being part of a community. All of the, the, the things that I thought health were. Uh, compared to this budget that they were calling a health budget. So um, it, someone liked it at the star, and they actually sent a photographer out from Toronto. So they came out from Toronto. It's a two-hour drive from Toronto to, to uh, my house. They took a picture of me, my wife, all four of my kids. We were all in different sports gear. Like I had a golf club. My wife had a tennis racket. One of my sons had his foot up on a soccer ball. One of my sons had a baseball bat because we were involved in all of these different sports and they took this picture beside in front of our cedar hedge in our backyard and it was a half page picture in the in in the letters to the editor in the next couple of days after after the photographer left and uh, that got me a lot of uh, a lot of feedback actually I got a lot of kickback on that one because uh, people felt that I was privileged to be able to provide all of these activities to my children and that not everybody could do what I could do so that was a valid feedback and uh, that was one way that we communicated at that time. It was letters to the editor. I would send letters to the editor of our, uh, um, our association's magazines. Uh, I've had letters to the editor in the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, certainly in the local paper. I practically was a regular columnist. I would, I would give uh, comments on and opinions uh, in, in, through the letters to the editor. So then uh, as we got into the 90s and the, and the internet boom started and computers started to, uh, you know, I had a laptop computer all of a sudden in my office. Or no, it wouldn't have been a laptop at that time. It would have been a, a standing type, a, a tower type. Uh, so anyway, in 1998, I bought uh, Microsoft Publisher. And with Microsoft Publisher, I started a small magazine. And I called it the Alternative News. So this would have been about 19, I don't know, 90... I don't know, 98 was the uh, publisher date on it, so it must have been right around there. Uh, I ran that for about three years, uh, and I actually had advertisers. What I did at that time was I would go into the Internet, which was very, very new. There were only a few sites. Google wasn't around as big as it was, and you would, I would seek out articles, you know, antibiotic resistance, articles on health, articles on maintenance of health, uh, those types of things that, you, you know, you don't hear about in the regular newspapers. Uh, where they're really touting the next great um, medical uh, achievement. Whereas, you know, I'm talking about real basic things, about the drinking water and uh, eating whole foods and those types of things. So, um, so that was really, really quite successful. I ran that for about three years. It paid for itself. I had advertising income. Eventually, it just kind of pittered out because the Internet became so available to everybody. So I didn't have to go out and copy and paste articles and put them in a paper edition to, to uh, distribute. Uh, people were able to find this information on their own. So that kind of petered out. And then I started into a book. I started to write a book called Progress Progress. That was in uh, the, the 2000s. And I, I really I've, I got a full draft on it. It was kind of personal. It was a personal journey, uh, really around my age of 50. So uh, it wasn't it was one of those very personal journals, I think, that uh, will never, ever see the light of day, will never, ever be published. I never even sent it to a publisher to be considered, but I wrote it over the course of a couple of years, and it was the same idea to try to uh, instill ideas of health and ideas of wellness into people. 
So then along comes podcasting. I become a big fan of podcasting. I listen to a number of podcasts. Uh, most of what you are hearing today has been, um, I, I'm going to say it with quotation marks, it's been borrowed from other podcasters. The intro that I use every Tuesday, and I'm so happy to say this is my 20th episode. I'm thrilled to be here for the 20th Tuesday in Storage Closet Studios. And uh, the intro that I use, I stole that right from Del Bigtree from The High Wire. The closing, when I say, uh, we'll see you NT, we'll see you next Tuesday. I used to listen to a podcast called Live from the Dutch Hall, and he used to always broadcast on Thursdays. And he used to always say, see you, see you NT, see you next Thursday. So I kind of picked that one up there. And then the whole format that I'm using here, the stream of consciousness kind of format, it comes from listening to uh, Bill Burr, uh, who is a comedian. He's about 10 years younger than me. Uh, his life stories became interesting to me. And I thought perhaps uh, where he was selling comedy, uh, I thought maybe my life stories could become interesting to some people, uh, but I'm selling health. So it's a, just a little bit of a different approach. Uh, my experiences in healthcare, Bill Burr's experiences in comedy. So of course, that's the type of uh, thing you're gonna talk about. So here I am, I, I have the Icy Old People podcast. Um, is it being, being heard by a lot of people? I would say no, but the few people that do listen to me have given me some incredible feedback. Uh, and one of the feedback uh, pieces that I got was from Jacob out in Idaho. And uh, Jacob sent me this, this great note that he was doing a podcast. And, and I have to say that if all of my fans, uh, all of my listeners are podcasters, that's not the worst thing in the world. Because we're a unique group. We're a group of people who like this particular way of presenting information. Uh, if you had a baseball team, would you lament the fact that all of the fans in the stands were baseball fans? No, you would be happy that all the baseball fans were there. So I'm really thrilled that other podcasters listen to my podcast and give me feedback. So one of the, the pieces of feedback I got was from Jacob. He did a podcast last week and he was talking about family history. Oh, he did mention that he enjoyed my piece because he's in Idaho. He enjoyed my piece last week on the Canadian border. So I appreciate that, um, uh, Jacob. I really enjoyed uh, doing that piece and I learned a lot. I took the experience of not knowing where Idaho was and turned it into uh, learning all about uh, the northern United the northern states that go along the Canadian border and the provinces that border the states from the other side. Uh, so it's, that was a lot of fun, and uh, the fact that somebody enjoyed it really, really makes me feel, feel good. But one of the things that he says here, he sends me this little note. He says, Bruce's show, okay, uh, one of the reasons I really appreciate Dr. Bruce's show is because I don't just hear this person who's realized he's talking about what's, what's, what the next years of his life are going to be like. I hear a person who's actually capturing his family history. He's capturing things he cares about, things that he knows generations after him may want to know about him. When they find, uh, say they find me in an old family tree or a family record, and they want to know more about this person, Bruce, uh, Dr. Bruce, and they would listen to these podcasts and they will have an incredible legacy to go through. So, uh, yeah, I was thrilled with that. And it's so true. And I've said it in a couple of my earlier episodes. I said, you know, some of my some of my podcasts only have four listeners. And I think to myself, well, I'm going to be one of those listeners in in 20 years. I'm going to listen to some of these stories that I've been saying. And then 
you know, I'm going to grow and I'm going to learn uh, at, at, from myself, from my 20-year younger self. And then also there's the, the far future. What about four or five generations from now? You know, what if some of my great, great, great grandchildren are really interested on what was going on at this time? So, yeah, Jacob, you hit it right on the head when you said that, because this is more more than just a project to come here on Tuesday mornings and talk into a microphone. This is about uh, preserving uh, my concepts, my ideas, things that were important to me during my life. I've spent 60 years on this earth. I've had some experience. So I want to jump right into the cannabis episode just because I think we're going to run out of time. We're already uh, at the uh, mid-mark of the, the program. It's amazing. So uh, this is going to be one of those stories that is going to maybe surprise you a bit because it's not one of those, oh, Dr. Bruce went to the cannabis store with big wide eyes and not knowing what was there and what he was going to see. And it was like this big exploration project. Well, I'll tell you, I've had a lot of experience with cannabis. I'm a boomer. I'm a young boomer, but I'm a boomer. And I can tell you right now that a boomer smoke, uh, smoke uh, cannabis. We used to call it marijuana, pot. Uh, we had a lot of different names for it. Cannabis was not the name of choice. Cannabis was the name of choice from the Canadian government. So they basically uh, made it as a uniform uh, name for everything. So they, they became cannabis stores. The product became cannabis. Everything became cannabis. Uh, so we use that term in Canada. Uh, the funny thing is, is that, uh, yeah, it went for the very first time to a legal cannabis store. Hour to get there. So I have to put this in perspective. The province of Ontario has 13 million people. Uh, pot is completely, pot, no, cannabis is completely legal. Uh, cannabis can be sold from government regulated stores. There are five of them in all of Ontario. It's amazing to think about. West of me, there's one in London. East of me, there's one in Hamilton. I think there's two in Toronto, a city of four million people. Uh, so it's just a joke when you think about it. So anyway, I took the drive into the cannabis store and it was an old beer store. I'll tell you, we love beer so much in Canada that we have stores dedicated just to selling beer. So the beer store, it was an old rundown closed beer store that they'd converted into a cannabis store. Uh, all blacked out windows, very simple sign. I've, I'm going to post a picture of the of the sign. I tried to take a selfie. You can see how badly I take selfies with, uh, with trying to get something in the background. <laughs> but it's the only one I have, so I'm using it. So I went to a cannabis store. They asked me for ID coming in. I had to show them ID, which is fine. I have no problem with that. Went in. Went in. It was set up as a um, kind of like a drugstore where there was... Um, there was some product information on the right-hand side, quite a long, narrow hallway, or not long, narrow room. On the right-hand side, there was some product information, things on computers, that type of thing. There were no samples out. There were no product there. Um, because I have heard that in the big store in Toronto, there actually is product there that you can smell it and look at it and everything. Well, that, that wasn't in this store. Uh, and then to the left-hand side, there was this long counter with a number of clerks along the counter and then a kind of a menu behind the clerk. So you basically had to order from the menu. So it's sight unseen, uh, very little information about it. Um, so you, you order, I, I, I asked what I guess a lot of old men do. I asked this young clerk, I said, well, you know, just give me two or three of the most popular products and then, uh, we'll go from there. So anyway, I did that. Uh, I ended up buying some 
sativa and some indica and I bought some pre-rolls. It was the first time I'd ever seen pre-rolls in my life. Uh, they come in a little cigarette pack, really over-packaged. Oh my God, the environmentalists must go insane when they see the packaging that goes on inside of these uh, of these of this cannabis industry. That's got to change. I mean, I'm not Mr. Joe environmentalist, but I'll tell you, when I saw that packaging for two pre-rolled uh, cannabis cigarettes inside a package that was as big as uh, maybe three decks of cards, absolutely ridiculous, full of plastic, full of uh, foil, um, cardboard, just ridiculous, a ridiculous amount of packaging. So, uh, so I buy the products $150 later, uh, walk out of that store and drive back to, um, to Simcoe. So, uh, uh, to Norfolk County. So I'm back and, um, uh, you know, I do, I smoke a little bit of it and, uh, you know, I have to admit that I, I do find that, uh, cannabis is very, very helpful for me. It helps me with my arthritis. It helps me uh, with sleeping. So two major things. Uh, before cannabis became legal in uh, Canada, they, we had about five years of medical marijuana. So medical marijuana was legal. And uh, I, used to st I started at that point to use it for medical reasons, to use it for arthritis particularly. Uh, and I take no other medication. So I'm, I'm a 60-year-old man. I take no Advil. I take no Aleve. I take no anti-inflammatories. Uh, I'm drug-free. But cannabis will help me with those issues and I do consume a bit of cannabis. So uh, quite the experience to have to drive so far to do this, dropped a ton of money there and uh, it, it was interesting, it was interesting. The Canadian government, or the Ontario government in particular is so far behind. I like to compare it to Colorado. I read a comparison between Colorado and Ontario and the difference was pretty clear. In Ontario, uh, they wanted to control the entire industry from top to bottom. So they wanted to install and certify the growers all the way down to the retailers. And that's where I was uh, in the cannabis store was the retailer. But their problem was that they tried to start fresh with new growers. When there has been an illegal cannabis industry in Ontario for you know, 150 years and a well-established industry that was supplying uh, cannabis to the population of Ontario before it became legal. Well, the Ontario government just shut them all out. And uh, so they continued to produce and sell on the black market. The difference in Colorado was Colorado embraced those growers, the growers that were growing illegally before it was legalized. They took them in. They made them part of the supply chain. So here's the difference. In Ontario, 80% 80 80 of the cannabis consumed in Ontario is still illegal. It's still being bought on the black market. In Colorado, 80% of the cannabis consumed is coming through regulated sources. So the, it's the complete opposite. So until we start to kind of embrace the growers that are on the black market, until we uh, start to uh, reduce the price, I think that would be another thing, reduce the packaging and have more distribution, the cannabis industry in Ontario is, uh, is pretty weak at this point. So I think it will only grow. It certainly is uh, something that uh, uh, more and more people, and particularly more and more seniors, 
Uh, I would like to advocate for seniors uh, to start to try to consume some uh, cannabis products as opposed to medical uh, painkillers, anti-inflammatories and antidepressants, those types of drugs, sleeping pills. If we can convert some people from multi-pharmacy to cannabis, I think that that would be very, very positive. So I hope I don't offend too many people by saying that. I hope that's not a, a terribly unpopular opinion. But in my opinion, I do think that uh, more and more seniors uh, using cannabis products, and they don't have to smoke it. Cannabis products uh, come edib as edibles. They come as butter that you can cook with or put on bread. There's all kinds of ways to consume uh, cannabis that will give you those positive uh, health results. So I had something uh, really, really interesting as well uh, when I uh, decided to look at a pot operation up close. Okay, so when you're 60 years old, you kind of, uh, yeah, you know people, right? You know people, you know a friend of a friend of a friend. And uh, so, yeah, I, I ended up uh, going out under the premise that I wanted to buy some clones. In Ontario, you can grow four pot or four cannabis plants in your backyard, every person. So if there's two people in the house, you could grow eight plants. If there's uh, four, four adults in the house, you could grow 16 plants. So uh, not a lot of people do it yet. But this has only been legal for a year. There's only been one growing season. So um, I went to see this fellow in a different county. He lives in another county. It was about, you know, a two-hour drive from here. And uh, it was really, really interesting. I've never been in a pot, seen a pot operation. It was brand new to me. It was really quite interesting. Uh, first of all, this fellow was just thrilled to see me. Uh, first thing he did was gave, give me a dozen eggs because he's got these uh, chickens running all over the place and he has so many eggs he doesn't know what to do with them. So I think it's an automatic gift for everyone that comes there. So I had a dozen eggs from these free-range chickens and then he took me on a tour. So the first place we went was into the, um, the cloning room. Okay, so the cloning room. So that's where all the mother plants were. So there were all these different plants and they looked pretty scraggly actually. They didn't look that healthy. But uh, he said that that's because they're constantly being, you know, parts of them are constantly being cut off because that's how you make a clone. So you have these, uh, which I have no idea. So you had these mother plants uh, in the room uh, and then wherever one of a, a new shoot would come off, the fellow would cut that shoot off, put some nutrient at the bottom of it and then stick it into a, uh, a growth medium. And, and then that, that particular um, growth medium will start to grow it becomes a that's a clone of that mother plant so that clone then grows and it becomes a pot a, a cannabis plant I keep calling it a pot I'm so used to the word pot it, it becomes a cannabis plant uh, as it goes through this process so these this was the clone room and he was cloning the fellow there was cloning a number of different mother plants okay so that we left that room we went to a grow room. So this was just a typical grow room. Uh, you walk in, really, really, really bright. The lights were super, super bright. Um, it, it was hot in there. And the plants were uh, all, you know, anywhere from two feet to three feet in height. They were quite dense in there. Uh, they had different, uh, uh, they had fans going. It was, it, it, there was nobody in that room. It was just the, the room itself. He had a number of grow rooms. Uh, he only showed me this one. He said that grow room alone costs 3000 3, a month 
in hydro, in um, electricity costs, 3000 a month to run the lights inside that one room. And I know he has more than three rooms. So he's looking at uh, an electricity bill in the, uh, you know, five digits in, you know, 10, 12, $13,000 a month. So uh, now it kind of gives you an idea of why uh, cannabis costs so much. Uh, I learned that when I went through this, uh, through the farm. So then we went to the uh, trim room and that in there, there was another fellow uh, in there working and he, uh, he had been working for four hours, I was told, and I saw the amount that he had trimmed in front of him. And the fellow who owned the place just looked at it and he said, I have to pay this guy for four hours. Look how much we have trimmed here. And again, you, it makes you think, well, here's another reason. It's so hand intensive. It's so intensive a crop. These people are working all the time. So in the trim room, what they're doing is taking the pot uh, bud off the the cannabis bud off the plant and then they're trimming all the little um all the little um, leaves and things that are on it until it's kind of like a little round ball and that's what the consumer wants the consumer wants that bud that's a little round ball and so that's what he's trying to make and then all nothing goes to waste uh, it, it showed he showed me the different areas where everything goes uh, so all the leaves that that fellow cut off will all go into this one vat that vat then would become a cannabis oil all the stems go into another uh, container and I said my goodness no one's going to use those stems he said you'd be surprised he said people buy it for tea they grind it up and they make tea out of the stems so every part of the plant is used so that was uh, really, really interesting to me. I had never seen anything like it in my life. And I was just, uh, I'm so glad I'm able to share it with you here. Uh, now, this operation was not a government regulated operation. This was a mom and pop operation that I saw. And, and this is the kind of person that needs to be included in, in the uh, supply chain. He's got a quality product. He is, uh, he, he is quality control himself. This guy has been growing. He is, his father grew. And this fellow is uh, older than me. So you've got to think of how long cannabis has been, uh, been growing in Ontario. And uh, now, that, now that it's legal, we've got these snafus all over the place where things aren't running the way they should be. I cannot believe that we're almost out of time already. The t the the this has been a I have so much information. When I started this podcast 20 episodes ago, I was thinking how am I going to what am I going to talk about every week? How can I fill this time every week? Oh my goodness, now I have this book that's so full of information that I uh, I, I I could talk for the next 2 hours. So uh, I'm going to make sure I don't. But I want to include two little stories about cannabis since we've been talking about cannabis today and I've got so much more I want to talk about I had some feedback from the dude I want to talk about I wanted to talk about my visit to Art Sayer I went out to see a hundred year old veteran um, that was that was just a thrill to talk to that gentleman but I'm going to finish my story here I'm getting sidetracked it might be next week that we talk about art um, okay he's oh by the way art is turning 100 years old on Friday, March 6th. Happy birthday, Art. I wanted to try to get a little episode mostly about you, and uh, that might happen in a couple of weeks. I, I had such a wonderful visit with Art. Uh, it was just great. Such a crisp, clear voice. Uh, his memory was impeccable. 100 years. Oh, my goodness. To think that he's, uh, he's 40 years older than me. 
oh, to be as as uh, fit and able as Art say or forty years from now, what a blessing that would be. Okay, so I want to talk about my first cannabis experience. Okay, so here I am in living in Thunder Bay, Ontario, newly minted Thunder Bay, Ontario. It was only formed in 1970. Uh, it's up north in Ontario. It's on Lake Superior. The closest city in the United States would be Duluth, Minnesota. Like for us, uh, when we were growing up, if we wanted to go on a big trip, we went to Minneapolis, and that was seven hours south of us. So Minneapolis is seven hours south. And I know for the entire United States, Minneapolis is considered north. But for us, it was a seven-hour drive south. So uh, I was 14 years old. So this was 1973. And myself and two other friends bought a bag of Colombian gold. That's what it was called. And it was this dark brown uh, cannabis. It had a lot of seeds. And I'm almost 100% sure it came from Mexico. It probably it might have come from Colombia originally, but I think at that time the way pot uh, cannabis was getting into Canada was through Mexico, and uh, so most of this was Mexican pot. It had a, it was about six seven percent. Okay, of course you didn't know that at the time. No one talked about THC percentages in 1973, but uh, we know that now that that the cannabis back then was about about five six seven percent uh, THC today a lot of the strains that you will get today are 25 percent 28 percent so the the uh, cannabis today is incredibly strong compared to the uh, cannabis of yesteryear so uh, yeah that was my first experience I was 14 years old I'll tell you I've been a lifelong supporter of legalizing cannabis and I'll tell you the reason I grew up in a very middle-class family. Well, no, that's not true. It wasn't a middle-class family. I'm middle-class now. Uh, it was it was a, a poor family. I was a, it was a poor family. There were uh, four kids. Uh, my parents uh, had you know didn't have very um, didn't have great jobs. We like we didn't go for not. We, we 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 were never. I never considered myself poor, but we certainly we certainly had a very stable established life i think that's the way to put it uh, we had a very clean home we i had good parents uh, i had uh, a number of advantages uh, so i was very much a clean cut nice kid so what would happen to that clean cut nice kid to buy some cannabis for the weekend well, he has to go into another world. He has to go and enter into the world of the pusher, the world of the uh, um, drug salesman. Uh, this is often a very unsavory world. You're entering into basement apartments that are, are, are dirty and disgusting. You are seeing guard dogs. You are seeing alcohol and drugs all over someone's house. And uh, you're seeing children that are being uh, treated poorly because they're living in this environment. And there you are, this, this nice, nice kid who never really has ever been exposed to this type of life and lifestyle. Is sitting there with $20 in his hand to buy a little bit of cannabis. That's so, so wrong. Okay. It just shouldn't happen. So it might be really expensive to go to a cannabis store, but at least when, uh, 
when the time comes for somebody to go and buy it, they can at least buy a product from a, a store. It's clean. It's regulated. And you don't have to go down into it, basically like the, the worst people in society. You have to go down there and pretend you're their friend for 10 minutes. No, I, I, I hated that. I was fortunate enough that, for one thing, cannabis consumption for me was, you know, has really been minor. It's not never been a big thing for me. And again, I've always had friends who have, have been uh, have been able to have that product. So I haven't had to do that type of thing. I absolutely hated it. It was one of the worst experiences. But it wasn't the worst experience. I just want to end the podcast with the absolute worst experience I ever had with pot. It was 1979. I was traveling with my friend and we were in Europe. We were doing the, oh, you know, you're 19 years old and you want to get out there and see the world before you go off to university. That's what it was our university run. Uh, and we were traveling all through Europe. And of course, uh, uh, we wanted to go to Morocco because Moroccan hash. So we wanted to see Africa. We want to cross the Strait of Gibraltar and we wanted to go down to Morocco because in, you know, in my little town in Northern Ontario, everyone was always talking about Moroccan hash. So hash is just, and hash, I, I hate hash. Hash is a terrible product. Smells like gasoline to me. But anyway, at that time, I was 19 years old. My friend was 19 years old. We crossed over from Spain. We uh, took the ferry. We went to Tangier, Morocco. Uh, and then we, and then again, you have to enter into this ugly world, the ugly world where you don't belong. So we go down into the port area. Uh, uh, you know, Tangier is a, is a seedy port town in Africa, port city in Africa. It's, uh, it's not a nice place at all. And, uh, you know, we start looking for hash. Well, of course, we're down one back alley or another, and then it's hard to remember this far back. I mean, but I can remember being upstairs in kind of one of these old buildings. I mean, they're all old buildings there. And uh, I was held at knife point, okay? For the first time and only time in my entire life, I was held at knife point. And the kid was probably 12 years old. So I'm 19-year-old Canadian kid, so wet behind the ears it's dripping. And this little 12-year-old thug... Uh, well, street urchin, call him whatever you want. He needs to survive. Um, he had hash, but he wanted us to buy way more. He wanted us to buy like a pound of it or something. I have no idea, but he wanted way, way, way more money than we were willing to give him. And it got to the point where it became a physical alteration. He held that knife. He was on me so fast. He held that knife to my throat. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. In the end, we gave him maybe double what we had or what we had intended to give him just to get out of there. Um, it was awful. And then we spent then we spent 11 days traveling around Morocco. Now, that was nice. It was, it was such a culture shock, such an eye-opener. Uh, probably the reason I, I got my love for traveling was those that trip to Europe and, and seeing, seeing these places. But, boy, what an experience to uh, have a knife at your throat. I'll tell you, I was, I was ne I'm still traumatized from it. I still, when I talk about it, I still have that bit of fear that just kind of creeps up inside your throat that any, any faults move here, anything goes wrong here and it all goes wrong. I'm, I'm dead in, uh, I die in Tangier. So, uh, you can see how raw that is for me after all of these years. So, uh, that was the worst experience. And those are the types of experiences that I hope legalizing, uh, cannabis, uh, throughout Canada, 
and I guess eventually it's going to be throughout the United States. Um, I know a number of states are already legal, but I don't know how many. Uh, I'm sure that um, when it becomes more legal across North America, when it becomes more regulated, becomes more available, I think experience like I had going into the basements of drug drug sellers' uh, apartments when I was a kid, or going or, or being attacked by a uh, by a street thug in uh, Tangier won't happen when things are legalized. At least I hope that's the case. Well, I we've run out of time already. I had a great uh, letter from the dude. Uh, I'm going to read that next week. I'm going to start the show with the dude's letter next week because it's quite long. I got to tell you, the, dude, thank you. Wow, for sharing this with me. But we're going to talk about this next week. I want to wrap it up. I want to thank you for listening. If you've stayed to the end, I love you. Thank you. Uh, I am going to sign off now. Uh, I'm looking forward to having an incredible week. I just love Tuesdays. I get up early. I uh, enjoy the day to the fullest. Tonight I'm going to go play badminton with my wife at the local high school. Uh, So today is turning out uh, already to be a great day. So thank you for listening. I appreciate you. I appreciate each and every one of you. See you NT. See you next Tuesday. Thank you.